This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Mayor Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner for all future episodes of our show. And today, my friends, we're bringing you something special. This is part one of the live show I did with guest Katie Fang, recorded on December 9th at the City Winery in New York City. So let's go now to that show. Well, hello everyone. So I'm Michael Cohen and you're here at the Mea Culpa Live podcast. So welcome and thank you. And I hope that we're going to have some fun despite the fact that things really aren't great today. But we're here to talk about is where we are as a democracy and as humanity and whether or not the American experiment is going to survive the mango Mussolini. Now, some of us are in that fight every single day. And who are we fighting against? Well, Trump, of course. But also, it's more than just Donald as a person. It's Trumpism and the Trumpist ideology. Now, for most of us New Yorkers, it's tough to understand the MAGA mindset because we might make the mistake of thinking that they are all rednecks or somehow uneducated. Or as, of course, Donald would say, the stupid people. But what I learned way back when Trump first started talking about running for office back in 2011, what I learned is that these folks are the most loyal supporters out there. That you can't buy that kind of love and you can't buy that kind of support that they're willing to provide. The brands that they love think about it, become part of their identity. They'll smoke Winston cigarettes because Winston supports NASCAR. And they eat Wonder Bread. Why? Well, because their favorite NASCAR driver wears Wonder Bread patch on his jacket. And if they love that driver and that driver choose Skull, well, they choose Skull in solidarity. And they will support Trump and all of his insanity Because Donald Trump and the MAGA brand are one. So ask any MAGA, ask any one of them what Trump's tax breaks did for them. They shake their head and say, I'm not sure. Did the wall get built? And did Mexico pay for it? No. Failure. How about the Middle East? What about the Middle East peace plan? Another failure. Let's just keep going. Immigration policy. Total failure, Muslim ban, failure, a real failure. And again, he's saying now that he'll repeal Obamacare and come up with a more beautiful plan. But we already know that it's going to be a complete and total failure. So the only people who actually won under Trump were legitimately the top tenth of the 1% of the country. And even some of them have gotten smart and they're giving their donation money to people like Nikki Haley, for example. But for the real MAGA, failure doesn't matter. Why? Because Donald Trump makes them feel like winners. So like I said, you can't buy that kind of loyalty because it's not about money for them. 
And what's comical to me is when they tell you that the economy was so much better under Trump, that blacks and minorities were doing so much better under Trump. It's not true. Just not true. Compare Trump's metrics to those of President Biden, and you begin to see who the real winner is. The Biden administration beats the Trump administration across the board. But Democrats, what's our problem? We like to complain. We whine about everything. We like to kick the tires before we buy the car. The Magas aren't buying for quality. They're buying a logo emblazoned on a god-awful, fucking hideous red baseball cap. They are buying Trump as a brand. Now, someday, with any luck, the Trump brand will be a thing of the past, like the BlackBerry or MySpace. Someday, the Trump brand will be so tarnished that not even the most diehard, the most diehard MAGA will admit to having once been a fan. Now, that day can't come soon enough for me, but when deciding who to vote, who do we vote for in 2024, assuming it's a Biden-Trump rematch? I like what President Biden has said. Don't compare me to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative. And we all know that if Trump ever, ever darkens the White House doors again, it will be a failure for the American people. It'll be a failure that we can never come back from. And it will be legitimately the end of our democracy. So today, today, my friends, we know that there is no alternative. There is only a Biden-Harris ticket in 2024. And what I want to do now is I want to welcome my very special guest for this Maya Culpa live podcast. And my guest today is my good friend, Katie Fang. She's the host of the Katie Fang Show on MSNBC. She's also the legal contributor at MSNBC and NBC News. Now, Ms. Fang, leverages her significant trial attorney experience to provide analysis and commentary on all the latest legal and political issues. So please join me in welcoming Katie Fang. How is everybody? So Katie, let me begin by asking you, Trump has been on the campaign trail bragging about how he's going to take down his enemies the moment he becomes president again. And of course, nobody knows that more than I. Then he does a Fox town hall with Sean Hannity. And like the shot heard round the world like that. That's perfect timing. Right. He told a national TV audience that he'd be a dictator from day one. Is the country finally catching up to the reality of a potential Trump autocracy? No, it's not. It's not. I mean, there there are a group of us that try to make sure that we sound the alarm all the time, all day long, all evening long. We fear that people think we're just being hyperbolic when we talk about it. But how can you be hyperbolic? How can you be melodramatic when somebody tells you that on day one, they're going to be a dictator? And it's not just him being just him. He actually has enablers that are with him. He has a plan to be able to install enablers that are going to make sure that it happens. I've always maintained that I think he's too stupid and incompetent to be able to do it on his own. And I think we've seen that happen. But the dangerous part about this is because he didn't do it right the first time, he's learned from the mistakes. 
They've all learned from their mistakes. And that's why a second term is the most dangerous. Understood. Here's the problem with that. I know what it's like to be a Trump enabler because I was his chief enabler. And I've admitted it on television. I've written two books about it. And one of the issues is he has learned a lot. He learned a lot about how to push the line of democracy literally to the point where he has no qualms about violating somebody's First Amendment constitutional right. He is not talking about simply just becoming a dictator on day one. Nobody who has the power of a dictator, especially in the United States of America, will willingly give it up. And that's the problem that we all have. He will never give it up. On day two, he will become a Fuhrer. He will become a monarch, a king, a ruler, the supreme leader. That's what Donald Trump really wants. So when he says on day one, I will be a dictator, you must listen. Don't listen to Michael Cohen, right? I, I hate Donald. Huh? It's hyperbolic. It's me. Don't listen to Katie Fanger, any of the people, whether it's MSNBC, Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS. Don't listen to any of the political pundits. Listen to him. Listen to what he's telling you. That's the only way. I don't disagree. No, finally, we have something to agree on. So we also know that Trump's tactic to slow down his trials, which he believes could be one of the few things that could interfere in this presidential run, is always delay, delay, delay. But he's now trying to get his appeal for presidential immunity in his election fraud case in D.C. kicked up to the high court where he has three appointees on the bench. So when I turn around again, I talk about an authoritarian ideology. He believes that these appointees don't work for you. They don't work for the Supreme Court. They work for him. How do you think that Judge Chutkin should handle Trump's most recent appeal? Yeah, so this is a really important question that Michael is posing, because one of the things I try to do on my show when I'm speaking as a legal analyst is I try to manage expectations. Mike and I talk about this a lot when you, well, you had a particularly crappy client in Donald Trump. But when you're a lawyer and you have a client, one of the hardest things you have to do is manage client expectations. And one of the most important things that we have to do when we're a journalist is you have to manage expectations for our viewers, the people that are tuning in, because they're they're tuning because they want to know something. They want to learn something. And one of the hardest things as a as a former trial lawyer, um, having tried these types of cases, is trying to explain that there's a process. And the appeals process is not something that exists exclusively for Donald Trump. It exists for all of us if we're litigants. And so what's happening right now is the process is going, whether it's going at a speed that we don't like, whether it's too slow before November of next year, it is going. So Chutkin is doing the most and the best and the fastest that she can. She's getting these motions that are being filed. She's allowing for the proper briefing to be done by the government and by Donald Trump and his attorneys. And then he's, she's ruling as quickly as she can. Of some A couple of notes that I want to highlight for you that have come out from this recent D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals opinion on that limited gag order that Judge Chuckin entered in that D.C. election interference case. And I talked about it this morning with Joyce Vance on my show. First things first, obviously, this appellate court kept a lot of that gag order in place, just limited it just a little bit, allowed for Trump to criticize special counsel Jack Smith and to allow political speech about how he feels like he's being persecuted. But there's language within that order, and it's a 68-page order that was entered, a ruling that was entered. 
And it basically says, this case will be dealt with before November of 2024. Right? So, it's fascinating to think that there's a group of appellate appellate lawyers, excuse me, appellate judges on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that believe that this case is going to be disposed of prior to November of 2024. Now, many of you might think that's just wishful thinking because doesn't the Supreme Court of the United States have a say in this? Well, the Supreme Court of the United States doesn't have to take this case up, doesn't actually have to address it, could say, you know what, I'm not going to address this case. But most importantly, If the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal that's dealing with his appeal of the presidential immunity claim says we reject that Donald Trump, he's now been rejected time and time again. The biggest problem is, and Mike and I have spoken about this, Donald Trump's rule of law is not anything that's applicable to us. If you get a ticket, if something happens, you go to court, you handle it, you deal with what the judge tells you. Trump doesn't do that. Trump's already said even that he's just going to pretend like the law is on a side so he's able to do things when it comes to this gag order. And so that is another indicator of when you have an autocracy or a dictatorship. When you have somebody who says, you know what, the courts don't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. The law doesn't apply to me. I don't care what the courts say. And when we have a situation when the courts are being ignored, you have a serious problem because then there is no rule of law that's left. Now, not to expand upon that, but we have a bigger issue when you have a president, or I should say a potential president who legitimately believes that members of the Supreme Court who he nominated don't work for the American people. They owe him something. They owe him. And he's going to use that and he's going to push that concept in order to change everything that we know. And I know so many people who turn around and say, it's not true. Don't worry. It can happen. Trust me. I know that it can. I am the first political prisoner held by this country because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. They Lord me down when I say the Department of Justice under Bill Barr and Donald Trump, and I brought a lawsuit against it actually on the 14th, this coming 14th, we are going before the Second Circuit in order to overturn the d- district judge's um, dismissal of the case and not based on the merits. It's a dismissal based upon the Dobbs decision. And you may recall that the Dobbs decision is what overturned Roe v. Wade, but it overturned more than just Roe v. Wade. It also overturned a case called Bivens. And Bivens is how you sue the United States government for infringing upon a constitutional right. I know that we will win this. And even if we, it makes no difference if we do at this point or we don't, this case is going to the Supreme Court of the United States. I have friends who are law school, constitutional law professors. This case is being taught in law school, along with like Plessy and Ferguson and Brown versus Board of Education. We will be living in a country where you have a president who doesn't give a rat's ass about what the Constitution says. He's a man who said on day number one, he wants to rewrite the Constitution, as if this moron could even do that, right? With a crayon on the back of what? Some stolen documents that's still hanging out at Mar-a-Lardo? In the bathroom. Or somewhere, right? He wants to rewrite the Constitution, and he wants to take away the power and the authority conferred upon the legislature and the judiciary and confer all power 
into one branch, the executive branch. It goes right back to what I said at the very beginning. That makes him into the king. When you have the full power of the United States government to do as you want and to bring on people like a Cash Patel or you bring on a Mike Davis who will be, you know, CIA, then you have another one who will be attorney general, we will have no rights. And I know everybody keeps saying to themselves, it can't happen, it can't happen. And I keep yelling from the rooftops, as does Katie and so many other people, I don't want to be the guy who has to tell you I told you so. But the same way in 2018, when I sat getting abused by the Republicans at the House Oversight Committee that was televised, only one of the seven, the seven that I actually um, provided, I did seven congressional hearings. But at that one, I turned around and I had said to the American people, if Donald Trump loses in 2020, rest assured, my biggest fear is that there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. And the amount of mockery that I received was enormous. And if I may, Michael, and and that is the biggest issue, right? Because we've seen it happen. We've seen a lawful election take place in 2020 with a lawful result. And that result was ignored. And so the problem that we all face is what happens next year when he loses to Joe Biden? What happens? Because if January 6th was any indicator to us, it's going to be, I fear, an even bigger reaction because it's going to be more of a reinforcement that he's, quote unquote, been cheated, according to him, even though all of the litigation, all of the courts have said there is no evidence of fraud and nothing has happened. The concern I have is some of us sitting very prettily where we are are going to feel like, you know what, it's just something that happened in D.C. Well, no, that's not the case. It's going to impact all of us because it's going to be a much bigger war on the law. Look, Katie and I in the green room were having this exact conversation, and I think it's worth expanding upon. Donald Trump cannot accept defeat. He has to always be the winner. What happens? What happens if he loses in 2024? Does he turn around and say, well, (laughs) that's it. I lost. You're right. The American people didn't want me. Absolutely not. He couldn't do it in 2020, and he won't do it in 2024. What happens to all of these MAGAs, these crazies, these rednecks that are armed to the teeth, angry, angry at, I'm not sure 100% what, but they're angry at America. They're angry at what America's becoming. It's too woke. This is no good. What happens then? Do we not have to be fearful for our lives? Do we not have to be fearful for the ongoing continuous mass shootings that are going on. You know, I didn't want this really to end up being one of these where you walk out and you're like, oh God, why the hell did I come to this thing? I'm more fucking depressed than I was ever before. That's That wasn't the intention of this. This is really a reality check. It's a reality check on whether Donald Trump wins or loses. The country has real problems that we have to contend with and we're not right now. And we're only, what, 11 months out? We are not ready to deal with the issues that will be confronting America because he will never concede loss. So unless he wins, unless he wins, which would be horrible as far as I'm concerned, unless he wins, the country is going to have an uprising. And that's the danger. And what happens then? What happens then? Do we end up having a civil war? Will it be Republicans versus Democrats? 
where nobody knows because this is so unprecedented in American history. We've never had it where a president did not confer power upon the candidate who ends up winning. I mean, instead, I mean, remember, and we'll talk about that. It had, you know, Bush v. Gore. That matter was settled in a day. Not, nope, not here. We're still talking about Donald Trump. He's still doing the same shtick at Mar-a-Lardo and any other place to anybody you listen. You know, they stole the election. Quite frankly, they just stole the election. Yeah, and we have to take it back. And it's, no, it's not true. It's not true. So I want all of you to just take a second and kind of look around where you are. You're in this beautiful space with incredible company. Um, you're eating great meals, drinking nice wines. You're going to go back to your homes. You're going to be with your families. You're going to enjoy the holidays, right? I mean, these are the things that we take for granted. And if there's one thing that I've learned through what I've been doing for the last few years um, on my show and, and just learning from what happened with the Trump administration, there's a certain complacency that happens that kicks in when we, when we believe it can't happen to us. Like, it can't possibly happen to us. But we've heard that Trump wants to silence his critics. He wants to make sure that his critics don't have the opportunity to say anything negative about him, which again, smacks of a dictator. So these types of get-togethers where we sit and we talk and we disagree, perhaps with each other or perhaps with the president of the United States, this stuff is not going to happen. And if it does and I'm not joking when I say this, this type of stuff will happen to have, will happen in secret. It'll end up being underground meetings where people meet to talk about it for fear of being silenced, whether that's incarceration, whether that's the brown shirts coming to take us away. He's said on Truth Social, he wants to put all of us the, at MSNBC, he wants to shut us down. He doesn't want us to have a voice anymore. That happens in countries with authoritarian leadership. That happens in countries with dictators. That happens in North Korea. That happens in Cuba. That happens in countries where you cannot express a counter opinion. And we were also talking before we came out here about there was a time pre-2016 where you could have a civil discourse where you disagree. But there was a common thread. There was some type of common denominator that existed between us. Maybe we were parents of children and we just wanted the best for our kids. But we maybe just didn't look at it the same way. Maybe we were approaching it in different ways. That doesn't exist anymore. The fact that the polarization happens to the extent that Michael has to take a bullhorn and do it on all these different platforms for people to understand it's exhausting. It's exhausting for Michael. It's tiring even for us in this space that I'm in because we want to make sure that we're hammering home the possibility, if not the inevitability of what happens. I had a really interesting um, segment about not looking at polls because polls are crappy. They're not really indicators Says of who? anything. As well. So, so I know, right? But but the theory behind polls is that polls are just snapshots in time and that a poll today can't ever tell you accurately what's going to happen in a year from now. Just true. I think we'd all agree with that. Right, Michael? Yeah. Right. So the idea is if you're not going to rely upon a poll, right, you're not going to look at it. You have to look at the stakes, not the odds. What are the stakes that are at play? Not who is in the horse race as of today in some 
Iowa poll that's going to happen as they have the caucus coming up next month. But the reality is this, despite how much derision we may have for Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie with this sometimes glimmer of hope that maybe he could be, you know, okay, it's going to be Donald Trump. I'm not saying anything that's controversial, am I? It's going to be Donald Trump. And so it is a foregone conclusion that 2024 will be a Trump versus Biden rematch. So what's on the plate? What is he going to serve up? Nothing good, that's for sure. Nothing like what you're eating here Nothing today. Nothing like what you guys are eating now. Yep. So, Katie, let me ask you this then. If things break a certain way, we could be in some real trouble. All of Trump's appeals could keep his various trials from proceeding. And if the Supreme Court hears Trump's appeal for immunity and grants it, he may never face consequences for the January 6th or the Mar-a-Lago documents. How do you see his trial schedule playing out? And I know because I'm affected by it. You know, I'm supposed to be testifying March 24th. Right. For the district attorney of New York case, which, by the way, this is exhausting stuff, but it's important. Right now, it's being pushed off. It's being um, it's the slot is being taken by Jack Smith uh, with the overturning of, of the free and fair election. So where do you see this coming out? So I had to learn how to use an Excel spreadsheet to, be able to keep track of all of this stuff, which is kind of terrifying. So there's the civil and the criminal cases. E. Jean Carroll is coming up in January down the street, down here. She has her damages only second defamation trial against Donald Trump that's coming up in January. There is also going to be the conclusion of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case that's going to be coming up in the next maybe four weeks or so. And that... I would actually hazard the following. Jail is jail, and jail is going to be horrible for Donald Trump. But losing your businesses and losing your ability financially, not from your grifting from your followers, but your actual businesses, the inability to run a business in the state of New York, and Michael could probably speak to this more than me, that's got to be particularly debilitating for him. But I think that that's where that's obviously going to go with Justice Ngoron, who's already ruled that fraud was perpetrated, and that's why they have been stripped of their business certificates so far. You know, Donald is one of these people where New York was his diamond, right? Uh, his father, Brooklyn his Queens Cubic guy. Draconia? Yeah. Uh, it was this Brooklyn Queens guy who decided— Not New York. Let me be clear. Not right. New York. New York's beautiful. <laughs> Just Donald Trump's He wanted to it. take over New York. So now to lose the certificates to give him the ability to do business in New York is difficult, but not as hard for him, believe it or not, is the fact that he gets booed consistently in New York where he goes, because Donald is all about his ego. It's all about the adulations and it's all about you know people coming to see him. For example, when we would walk down the street years ago, and that was when... Um, the Apprentice was the number one show on television. He would literally walk downstairs just to create a crowd. And then he would talk about the crowd all day and all night long. And then he would do the same thing the next day. Those months that we had all of the celebrities there were the most tiring. He would decide he wants to walk over to the GM building. Why? What the hell? What's the difference? He goes, watch how many people start to do. This is who Donald Trump is. And the fact that now he can't walk down the street without people screaming, you're going to jail, you're a criminal. You're this. Trust me, I know about people yelling at you. It is terrible. But for Donald, 
it hits his ego, and that's the worst part for him. I agree, and I and think the money and the money, and I also think part of the problem is he he has to whether he wants to acknowledge it or not, he has to deal with the fact that he has all of these cases because. The Manhattan DA's case is set in March, as you know, because you're one of the key witnesses for that case. But Chutkin has her case in March. We've got the Eileen Cannon Mar-a-Lago documents case in May. And then Fulton County, Judge McAfee hasn't even set a trial date yet, even though Fonnie Willis has proposed August of 2024. I mean, there's so many different, I would say, opportunities there to be able to peg him down on a criminal case. But the biggest challenge is getting it done by November of 2024. So what's the backstop to all of us? What is the saving grace? It's the vote. I don't think we can rely upon Fonnie Willis and Jack Smith, Letitia James, and, you know, uh, what's what, uh, what's that? Who's the guy who's prosecuting your case? Alvin Bragg. Sorry, my bad. I don't think you can rely upon him, them, and juries to do this. I think you guys, we all need to figure out when you are trying to eliminate something that's bad. I don't think you only use one tact. You try everything possible to get rid of the bad stuff. And part of that is the judicial system. And part of it includes just making sure that it's not just us going out to vote, but that we're telling other people why they need to go and vote as well. But Donald, in this specific case, does not believe that the judicial system has the right within which to hold him accountable. This is truly what he believes. And I'll go one step further. I said this, and again, so many people, they start to say, are you just being hyperbolic? It's to get, uh, not not ratings, but more to get eyeballs and to make uh, your your comments go viral on you know all of the different metrics. It's not true. One of the things that I turn on and I say, Donald Trump doesn't have original thoughts in his mind. What he's going to do is steal somebody else's. So one of the things that Donald was incredibly impressed about, believe this or not, this is, again, the dictatorial authoritarian ideology of the man. One of the things that Donald turned around and said is, could you believe that Mohammed bin Salman was able to jail his own family members and get them to sign over their money? Now, again, I don't want it Michael Cohen say this is Donald Trump's own statements. What's going to happen? Elon Musk, he will bring him to Mar-a-Lago or to one of his other tacky root ballrooms, put them on the floor and turn around and say, "Elon, how much are you worth?" And he goes, "I'm worth 300 billion." Now, you're worth 1. And he'll get him to sign over the same way Mohammed bin Salman did it to his relatives and to other Saudi members. He will get him to do it because Donald only cares about himself and he only cares about money. For him, that is his ego, his super ego, his id, all smashed into one. This is how he defines himself. He needs to be the richest man in the world. And with the power and the might of the United States military and the government completely behind him. He will do it to Zuckerberg. He will do it to every single billionaire that's out there. He will take their money, and there's not going to be a damn thing that they can do about it. It's either you sign it over or you go to Gitmo, a place that he wants to throw everybody into. Everybody should go to Gitmo. I mean, I'd like to see him go to Gitmo. 
right? I mean, you know, instead, the guy is there for what? For like three seconds, you know, he walks in, they let this son of a bitch roll through Manhattan with, you know, police escorts, military. Like if the guy was still the president of the United States, he goes in for various different mugshots. Bullshit. He should sit in traffic like the rest of us. And when he gets there, they should do the same thing they do to everybody. Strip his ass out. Let him stand there with his mushroom pecker so that everybody could laugh at him. And then fuck him. Right. Let him take his picture. Instead, now they have to treat him with fucking kid gloves. And I say bullshit to that. We are allowing him to get away with the things that he's getting away with. And I say we have to put a stop to it once and for all. So moving on, then, now that my blood pressure is up. So, Katie, all things considered. Again, I want to go back to this. Why can't we get speedier trials for Trump? It's something I didn't understand. First of all, I didn't understand why it took Alvin Bragg as long as it did to bring the case. He should have listened to the likes of a Mark Pomerantz and gone one year earlier. Could you imagine? We would have already had a decision and we already would have a sentencing and a conviction as far as I'm concerned. But again, going back to Bush v. Gore, decided in a single day. What's the holdup on the Trump trials? other than his delay, delay, delay tactic? It's the process. And I know people don't want to hear that, but the process has these built-in delays that exist. And because there's this concept of due process, which we all want because that's what we want for ourselves, the due process allows him to be able to get the recourse, to take the appeals, to be able to do what he's doing to delay going to trial. The problem that also exists is because there are, I mean, and this is the one that's always frustrated me as a former prosecutor, because he has so many cases, it actually helps him. It's almost like he gets rewarded for being such a good crimer, right? So because he has so many different cases, it inures to his benefit when it comes to baking in the delays, because a judge can point to this like Aileen Cannon, for example. She can point to this case or this issue and say, you know what? I don't want to have a collision in time with that. I'm going to set it later. And that's a problem. But it's judicial discretion. It's within their ability to do it. And there is no recourse for the government, for the state, if that happens, because the judges are allowed to do it. I mean, think about what's going on when it comes to just the Alvin Bragg or the um, the Chutkin matter. One district attorney or one prosecutor asks the other to please take a step back. Why? Well, we will all acknowledge that the attempt to overturn a free and fair election is certainly a more despicable crime than campaign finance violation and fraudulent misrepresentation of your business books. Everybody will acknowledge that. We'll also acknowledge that, for example, uh, attempting to <laughs> yeah, attempting to uh, hide and fail to return top secret documents, including finding out where some of the documents that don't even exist, there were empty file folders. That certainly is more significant than campaign finance violation or you know misrepresentation of business books. I will acknowledge that. But that doesn't mean that the campaign finance one is not illegal. Anybody else would already have been charged. And that's the whole point. Do we have one system of justice in this country or do we have two? And I propose that there's actually two. There's two. There's for them, meaning Donald and those who think that they're Donald. And then there's for the rest of us. And this is a real problem that we have to actually stop. And we have to hold 
our Department of Justice accountable. They need to be accountable to the American people. We can't ever have another Bill Barr in the White House, another lapdog that no matter what Donald Trump or no matter what the president of the United States tells him to do, constitutional, unconstitutional, it doesn't make a difference. They will go ahead and they will do whatever he says. I mean, we're now looking at a potential Mike Davis as an attorney general. This is a real danger because this guy will do whatever Donald says. And that's the whole danger. That's not the that's not the way our country was formed. It's not the way we've all lived. It's not the life that we want to leave for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations to come. It is a plague upon the Constitution, and it is an absolute scourge on our democracy. But this is what should bring you guys some hope. The idea that there are prosecutors out there like Fonnie Willis that have brought that RICO indictment for somebody other than just Donald Trump, the fact that they're going after the fake electors in different states, the fact that you're actually seeing the lawyers, no offense, Michael, the lawyers that facilitated this. Well, listen, but but and, and you and I have always been straight with each other. Again, Trump needs someone to facilitate this for him. He's not capable of doing it on his own. So if you are a lawyer, if you are a fake elector and you see what the consequences are for your actions, that's the concept of a criminal justice system. There's a deterrent factor that's built into a criminal justice system. There's a punitive aspect of it, which is the punishment component. And there's a deterrent factor, which is to dissuade other people from doing the same damn crimes. So if you see the lawyers and you see these fake electors and you see the people that are actually having to go in due time have to be prosecuted for it, then that's going to cut away. It's going to take out one of the legs in the chair or the stool for Donald Trump where he's left standing on his own and he doesn't have the opportunity to be able to do it because you helped him. He you like you were there because you had the intelligence and the the, the ability to strategize to advance a goal for him. That's what he needs. He can't do it on his own. If left to his own devices, he puts classified documents in bathrooms. Right? So that's why you have to have some hope that the system, albeit slow, still works. Yes. The problem, though, is we're running out of time. That's the whole problem with 11 months left. I can only tell you, I certainly was complicit in bringing Donald Trump to the White House. And one of the ways that he ultimately won is because Democratic Party, and I've been a Democrat my entire life. We forgot about the silent majority. And who really is the silent majority? Actually, none of us really know the answer. None of us ever knew the answer. But one thing that I certainly did see when I would see the Donald Trump rallies is that they look more like Klan rallies than they look like you know, political rallies. There's no diversity in any of Donald's rallies. Now, now you see a handful of black men and women that are sitting behind blacks for Trump. They're, by the way, they're paid actors. And I know the company that they use. They are paid actors. It's the same five, six people each and every time. So what did I do? I realized that Donald, I've said this all along, he's a racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite. You know, it's a great quality to be a president of the United States. But one of the things that I turned around and I had said was, we need to do something. So he said, so do it. Go ahead. I mean, that's Donald's. That was the involvement of Donald Trump in my creation of something called the National Diversity Coalition for Trump. And we pulled down 10 million people. 
almost in, in months. The Republican Party couldn't believe it. And I didn't want to turn it over because, again, I'm a Democrat. But I was there and, you know, supporting Trump, obviously, at the time. I mean, we had everyone from Martin Luther King's daughter all the way to Lynn Patton, who ended up becoming part of the New York City Real Estate Board or whatever the hell they gave her to keep her quiet. But we're in a place right now where Donald doesn't even think he needs that group. And somewhere along the line, we're seeing polls. We're seeing polls that show that young people, Gen Zers, are now potentially backing Trump. Blacks, Muslims. I mean, get a load of that. The first thing Donald Trump did when he got into the White House, Steve Miller, Steve Bannon put forth a Muslim ban that he tried to hide as an immigration ban. This is legitimate. This isn't, again, me just turning around and shitting on the guy. This is actual stuff. And when I sat with him in the Oval Office and he asked me, so what do you think of my immigration ban? I said, boss, you know that's not an immigration ban. He goes, I know. He goes, but, and I said, and I think it's really terrible. I think it sucks, to be honest with you. So he says, we'll get it right the next time. He goes, yes, Steve, uh, the two Steves really fucked that one up. And I'm like, wow. Wow. I, I couldn't believe it. First of all, he acknowledged, but of course it wasn't his mistake. It was Steve Bannon and Steve Miller, but he will do it again. And again, I don't want you to take it from me. It's not me who's saying it. Donald said it. The first thing he's going to do is create a Muslim ban and they're going to round up all of um, different groups of people. They're going to start exporting everybody out of the country. He's locking down the borders. Remember what happened the last time he locked down the borders? What did we end up with? 3,200 children taken from their parents, some of whom still have not been reunited after all these years. I want everybody to think for a quick second. Have you ever lost your kid for even like a second where you look down and you say, oh my God, where's my kid? It's happened to everybody. And if you say it hasn't, you know, join the Trump team, right? It, it's, it happens to everybody. You know that fear, that fright that's in your heart? Oh my God, you know, what happened, what happened? Picture now, seven years, seven years. These people have no idea what happened to their children. Their children safe? Are they alive? You know, are they with a family that's good to them? The kid being abused? Who knows? So moving on, since we were talking about polls, Katie, Obviously, polls are difficult to believe these days. I never have any belief in the polls, simply because they know exactly who they're going to be calling. I don't even know why they waste the money on it, but recent polls show that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSanctimonious are tied for second place behind Trump, with Christie trailing, I don't know, somewhere just slightly above Ramaswamy. Why is it that only Chris Christie has the guts to speak out against Trump. You guys didn't hear this, but <clears throat> the response was Jersey, which I think is part of it. I think that gives him the balls to do it, one. But two, you know, I think because Chris Christie decided one day that he didn't owe him anything anymore. And the rest of them still feel like they owe him something because the risk of not still being beholden to Donald Trump is too great for them. They do some type of, I think, gut check courage calculus, they being Nikki Haley and Ron DeSanctimonious and Vivek Ramaswamy. Just snot nose. And they decided that they don't, they, they don't want the political heat should they say no. The other thing is they want to be a vice president to the Donald Trumps of the world. Like, what do they lose by still supporting Donald Trump? What do they lose by, by not raising their hand and saying, I won't 
you know, support him as the nominee for the party, they lose a vice presidency. Now, I don't know about you, but the last guy that was his vice president almost got hanged on January 6th. But that doesn't dissuade them because there is an irrational fear, and I've never been able to figure this out after all the reading and the the talking to people that are insiders and all of the political analysts, and maybe you guys have the answer. So if you do, I would love to know. I've never quite figured out the why. The why. Why be so scared of this fat, stupid, orange man? Why? It's not like he's smarter than you or us. It's not like he's more accomplished because everything we see was built on fraud. So what is it about him? And I think they're scared not about him, but his followers. And I don't mean like the physical, I'm going to walk out the door and somebody's going to try to harm me fear. It's more the idea there's this weird thing about the fear that that sometimes stops people from doing the right thing versus the reality of what would happen if they did the right thing. And I'm always struggling to see why, because it also dovetails with this idea of when he became president and all of these horrible maggots came out to say these horrible things. Did they always feel that way and think those things? And they were just waiting for somebody to give them the cover to say it? Or did he magically make them this way? I don't know, because I don't really know if there's an answer, like one single answer, but it's the why that's never really been answered, and it still continues to this day, in my opinion, not get answered. And now for today's mea culpa. It's a good day when Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, is court-ordered to pay a whopping 148 million bucks to two innocent women whose lives that he ruined with fake news and the big lie. He hasn't stopped lying about Ruby Freeman and her daughter Shay Moss. And Rudy claims, of course, that he's the victim and that he's going to appeal. But Giuliani's not going to have much time to appeal. He's got at least six other big cases that are pending. He's a drunk. He's been disbarred. He's broke. And he'll spend the rest of his life in a courtroom. Except I'm not sure he's going to defend him since he's being sued for $1.4 million in unpaid legal fees. I mean, maybe Rudy doesn't know it yet, but he's done. It's over, you asshole. You're fucking toast. Anyone trying to get a dime out of America's mayor, I mean, good fucking luck. But you gotta ask yourself, what happened to this man? What made him think that he could get away with murder? It reminds me of another guy who claimed that he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he wouldn't lose voters. Earlier this year, columnist E. Jean Carroll was awarded $5 million in damages when Donald Trump was found guilty of battery and sexual abuse. Now, of course, Donald did what Donald does. He appealed. He countersued. But you know what? It was all thrown out. And then just last week, Carroll was given the green light to sue Trump again, this time for defamation. Trump tried to claim that presidential immunity protects him from being held liable. But a federal appeals court threw out that argument too. They said he tried to invoke presidential immunity too late. 
because the presidential immunity ploy doesn't hold any water. And now the Second Circuit just confirmed that the Carroll versus Trump defamation trial will begin on January 16th of 2024. So Happy New Year! I mean, this time, Carol is suing Trump for $10 million. Now, it's worth noting that it's the third time in recent weeks that federal courts have rejected Trump's presidential immunity claim, despite how many times Alina Hababadabababa wants to try to invoke it. And as corrupt as they are, I can't imagine that the Supreme Court is going to agree with that argument either. If they did go along with it, what would stop any president from doing whatever illegal things they wanted to do? Not just Trump, Biden, or any president that comes after them. And do you think the high court would give up their co-equal status to let a president walk all over them? I mean, they already think that they're above the law, so why would they ever give up the power to someone like Trump? Trump doesn't know it yet, but... Put a fucking fork in him, because he's done too. It's over, like Rudy. Trump's got several big cases in front of him. I mean, he's got questionable lawyers. He's addled, he's on something, and he's still running for president. Now, I've been in and out of court myself lately. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's heart-wrenching, it's soul-crushing. But it's the toll to your mental health that really gets to you. You see, the difference, though, is I'm relatively young. Rudy and Donald, they're fucking old men in the worst kind of way. But worse than that, they're babies. They're fragile and they're incontinent. Their brains have turned into mush. And life has taught them absolutely nothing. Maybe once they aspired to be great men, but I don't think so. I think they were driven by ego and greed from the start. Now, they fooled a lot of people for a long time now, but it's starting to look like that train has run out of track. So happy holidays, my friends, and tune in later this week for part two of the live show. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast. Executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. This is my mayor